Hello, welcome back. This is Heavy Typing and I am Frank Hagen. Basically, I have COVID, so we'll see how this goes. I'd like to stay on schedule. So I'm giving it a, a whirl. And uh, if you're listening to this, I guess it worked. This week, we're going to be going into Chapter 9 of my novel, Marked for Harm. This chapter is entitled, A Fucking Clown. I went naked into my office and knelt down by the empty filing cabinets to check the safe. Blood had leaked out from under the door and the throw rug sitting under it was stained and sticky. I looked around the room and inched forward on my knees to get closer. I kneeled in the damp tack and rolled the tumblers through their secret progression. The cake box inside was wet and pulsating. I lifted the lid and inside was the heart, now beating. Before putting it into the safe, I had removed it from the plastic wrapping to examine it. I went into my bathroom and grabbed a towel, which I folded and placed under the box before closing the door and spinning the lock. I put my hand on top of the safe to check for any vibration. Why? I felt nothing. I sighed, leaning over the side of the safe for several minutes. Finally, I nodded to myself and went to grab paper towels, which I spread over the rug. This sort of cleaning is something I would have normally outsourced. I took a shower. I dressed for work. I grabbed a button-down shirt and black slacks. I knotted my tie and combed my hair back in my usual fashion. In a busy intersection outside of City Hall, a man wearing a woven poncho and a cowboy hat was dancing in the middle of the street holding a flare or a smoke bomb of some kind, moving as if in slow motion. Cars drove carefully by him in both directions. Drivers honked their horns, but no one yelled at the man. Everyone who lived or worked around that location knew him before this performance. He danced not hearing or seeing them, and the smoke rose from his hands. Morning, Archibald, Cheryl said. To what do we owe the dishonor? Very clever, I replied. In the streets, I'm known as Lom Sons Nam. You're too sweet to give me a proper name. I'm known to be a very sweet person. Some people get that anyway. A baker bakes to their own taste, I replied. You're a piece of shit, you know that, Archibald? I hate to say it, but it looks like you have learned nothing. Things in your life are a wreck and it's your own goddamn fault. Everything is your fault. Look at whatever happened to your face. You're a fucking clown. You've loved every minute you've spent with me, Cheryl. And I am fine. Loved, as in not anymore. You don't know what that word means, Cox. You should be barred from saying it. Looks like you finally got what you deserve this time. You've never been more right, Cheryl. You put me in danger. I could have gone to jail. Except you turned out just fine, for which I apologize profusely. Archibald, she said, seething. You're a terrible man. Don't beat yourself up about it. Who said I was? What are you doing here anyway? You know you have no chance with me ever again. I'm not here for you, I said. You're not fooling me. You're a dog. You never show up without your treat. And I'm not aware of anyone waving bones here. On a mission of malice, Cher, looking for wobbins. You really piss me off, Cox. Eternal apologies. Detective Wobbins, a real detective, 
is out investigating a burglary, you know, actually investigating. He'll be even less thrilled to see you than I am. I don't mind waiting with you, I said, smiling. Might be a while, she said, a grin reluctantly appearing on her face. She flashed me a look and hesitantly raised a hand up for me to take. She stood up from her chair. Let's wait back here, she said, swiping her card and leading me into a room filled with boxes. Several tables had folders laid out on them, investigative data of some kind. I hate you so much for what you did, she said, kneeling onto the floor. Cheryl, no, I said. She hugged me about the waist where she put her face up against my crotch and rubbed against it like a cat. For a moment, she just looked up at me with the vacant eyes of a porcelain doll. Her mouth hung slightly open with a fragile expression as if she might break. She started to unzip my pants. I didn't want to, but I stopped her. I was erect. She rubbed her face against it. Get up, Cheryl. I hugged her. I wanted her in that moment as much as she wanted me. Something about her rage. However, I compromised with tenderness. God, Cox, she whispered breathily. She took one of my hands and sucked on my fingers, gyrating her hips seductively against my crotch. I love you, Cox, she said, begging. Please, please. I put myself back into my pants and zipped up while she played with my tie. I said nothing. The moment seemed to have no end. I was still oblivious to my culpability in this scenario. Come inside of me, please, she said. She was almost panting, her voice full of sexual aspiration. She bit her lip and I could feel her body shaking subtly in my arm. I want you to, she said. When I said nothing in reply, she backed away from me. You're going to get me in trouble again, she said. Her eyes were red and moist. The door opened behind us. Christ, Cox, said Detective Marshall Wobbins. Detective, I said, greeting him. I'm so humiliated, Detective Wobbins, Cheryl said, bursting into tears. I feel humiliated, the detective responded, no subtlety in the resignation of his voice. I'm so sorry, Detective Wobbins, Cheryl said. I'm sure you will be. I'm going to be fired this time. Cheryl sobbed. I'm so humiliated, she said, burying her face in her hands. I can't keep this a secret again, the sandy-haired man told her. His vertically striped button-down shirt and tie were perfectly pressed. Nothing happened here, detective, I said. I don't care what happened or didn't happen, Cox, the man exploded. You may have created this goddamn mess, but you can't fix it. We were just talking, I said. Quite frankly, that is what she was just saying herself. How nice it was to just chat. I'll get my things together, said Cheryl. She went out to the front desk momentarily. Cox, you amaze me, said Detective Wobbins. How many times does it have to happen before it won't happen again? We have children in this facility all the fucking time. Grandmothers work here. People's spouses. What kind of hell is this that we're even having this conversation? Is there nowhere else to bang lonely executive assistants than in my investigation room? This is all evidence. All around you, you are compromising our cases. It comes here upon our requests and it is returned from here. There is a chain of custody issue with you just being back here. How have you become so dense? I'm so humiliated, Cheryl said, returning. 
We get it, Cheryl, Marshall said, his anger boiling over. We literally were just talking, Wobbins, I told him. You can't fire her for talking. Evidence, Cox, God damn it. The hell are you doing here? Didn't I ban you? I don't want to touch this goddamn situation. You're a fucking nightmare. Cheryl grabbed my arm, gave me a kiss on the cheek, and forced a piece of paper with her number written on it into my hand, as if I didn't already have her number. I wouldn't be calling her regardless. I'll take the rest of the day off, okay, detective? I'm so humiliated, she said again. You poor, stupid girl, Wobbin said. Why can't you be a decent goddamn person, Cox? Why do you insist on living like an animal? We followed her out into the lobby and I watched Cheryl going out the front door. Her bulging purse overflowing under her arm and a box of personal items held in front of her. I'm just a man like any other. I didn't make this world, Wobbins. Which fucking world? Same goddamn world as the rest of us? I find that very worrisome. Listen, detective. Reconsider Cheryl, please, for me. For you. You are one glorious a-hole. Look, I said, after today you won't have to worry about being bothered by me anymore. Christ, Cox, she'll be back at work tomorrow. I'd never report that pathetic girl. I hope you are telling me that someone is finally going to kill you. Or worse, I replied. Cox. Wobbins had an exasperated look on his face. He was too good a person for his line of work. I was hoping you could look someone up in one of your computer databases, I said. But I've already ruined your day. I'll scram. Why don't you let me get you into the gym, Cox? I could fix you up. Drop the belly fat. We could go to the firing range. Get serious. Don't you realize what an asset you could become? You know what I am, detective. You could stop playing at investigator and get real. You have something special you did once, anyway. We could use your contacts to close investigations. You are not completely lost yet. See you around, Marshal, I said, intending to leave. Whatever it is, you don't have to do it. You won't change his mind, said a man with a British accent. He had joined us in the lobby without either of us noticing. He had the energy of a proper Englishman, a thin man wearing an overgrown, mousy-colored mustache. He wore a black suit jacket with silver pinstripes over a white button-down shirt and no tie. Elegant but inexpensive cufflinks just visible at the wrists. He also wore a silver flat cap meticulously placed at a casual angle upon his head. Cox, this is Creighton Mishman, Wobbins said. When an animal is cornered, said Creighton, it only knows to claw and bite. Well, he claims to be a man in a world he didn't create, not an animal, said Wobbins with a chuckle. Man, Creighton said, as we all know, of course, is an animal at his base nature. Please be kind to this animal, I said, with apathy. Goddamn, Cox, Wobbins said. Are we almost finished with this talking dog, detective, asked Creighton. Yes, sir, said Wobbins. We are late then, said Creighton. I walked with the two gentlemen to the entrance of the building. Reconsider getting yourself killed, Cox, said Wobbins. I'll think about it, I said. Probably not up to me, however. 
Make it a good death, son, said Creighton. That's your chance at transcendence. An ornate death. They're waiting for us, detective.